Well, good morning. Um, I do come, and I, I want to greet you from your brothers and sisters at New Life in Dresher. Um, it's good to be with you this morning. So thank you for um, worshiping the Lord with me. Um, as we begin, I'll ask you to turn to Psalm 124. That's where we'll be spending our time this morning. As you do, consider how movies thrive on a close call. They do, don't they? Against all odds, when there is no way that the hero could possibly escape, things happen, good things happen. Think of, uh, think of how we learned that when we all watched Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? With that boulder scene, there are about 12 times where he narrowly escapes. Or, if uh, that's not quite your speed and you prefer Disney movies, you might think of Finding Nemo in that shark scene where Nemo's father is stuck in the ship surrounded by sharks, and they're trying to convince themselves that fish are friends, not food. And then the one gets a whiff of blood and goes berserk, and there's no way on earth that Nemo's father could escape. Well, it's thrilling to watch, but the psalm that we're going to read today describes a scene which was a close call, and it was no laughing matter. It was written by David, but it's our story too. And it was preserved for us that we might, from time to time, stop on our journey to the Mount Zion in heaven and remember and praise the God who delivered us so that we could get there in the first place. So this is Psalm 124. A song of ascents of David. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers, The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Would you pray with me, please? Our God, as we come this morning and hear your word, I pray that by your spirit you would give us understanding, that you would open our eyes to see and feel the reality of these words, and that you would make so that we see Jesus Christ, your Son, and give him glory for all that he has done. I pray in his name. Amen. Well, the first thing that Psalm 124 would have us do is to remember, brothers and sisters, the plight that we were in. Here was the problem. Look at verse 2 with me. People rose up against us. And the question is who? Who was it? Well, This psalm was written by David. We see that's of David. So take your pick of any one of David's enemies. Maybe it was Goliath, that giant dragon of a man over nine feet tall with a spear that weighed over 33 pounds and armor-like scales who roared, this day I defy the enemies of Israel. But Psalm 124 came to be sung by Israel itself. So which enemies had them by the throat? Well, was it Assyria or Babylon or Persia, those world superpowers to the east? 
who at different times leveled cities and slaughtered people and deported exiles. I don't know. Note, it, it doesn't mention any names in particular of enemies here. Instead, what it does is it describes Israel's enemies with images, four of them to be exact, and they're designed to make you feel their power and their strength. They're designed to make you see the utter helplessness of God's people. So let's look at them for a minute. First, in verse 3, we see something that might be described like a monster. Then they would have swallowed us alive, it says, when their anger broke out against us. Picture, picture the jaws of a beast that are open wide enough. Maybe something you'd read about in Daniel chapter 7 or something like that. Wide enough just to swallow you whole. And the psalmist is saying that's how we were. We were wriggling like a mouse about to be dropped into the open throat of a monster swallowing us whole. Or look at verses 4 and 5. He describes a flood. It's the second image. He says, the flood would have swept us away, the torrent gone over us. I wonder how many of you, if any of you have ever tried when you're at the beach to swim out to the the sandbar that's further out from the shore. And it looks so close until you start to swim out there and you realize it's a lot further than you think. And for somebody like me, who's not a great swimmer, your muscles start draining the undercurrent starts pulling you out. Your head starts dripping under the water. And it's a terrifying thing. Suddenly you realize, I don't know if I'm going to make it there. I don't know if I'm going to make it back. It's not fun. But it's more than just sinking he's describing. He says the flood would have swept us away. Over us would have gone the raging waters. In language reminiscent of God's judgment in the time of Noah's flood. Right? This is an army that is like a tsunami crashing through the land and wiping out absolutely everything in its path. So they're flood. The third image is that of a beast of prey in verse 6. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Here we're not thinking of a monster gobbling somebody up whole, but picture something more like a, a lion or maybe a hyena ripping the flesh out of a zebra on the ground in the safari, grinding the meat again and again between its teeth in its mouth. God's people were feeling the agony of defeat by degrees, slowly, painfully. And then in verse 7, we have the fourth image, a fowler's snare, which is perhaps the most pitiful image of all. You can almost picture a bird with fragile and hollow bones, beating its wings in desperation, only hurting itself the more it tries to get free. So let's think about what this has to do with us today. The enemies of God's people today, those things that are hostile to Christians, are not the person in your school who is a bully who you might think is as big as ugly as Goliath was. It's also not the, the Philistines or any other ethnic group for that matter. It's not even the guy who cuts you off in traffic or the mom at daycare who rubs you the wrong way and drives you crazy up the wall. They're not personal enemies. Instead, as you might well be taught and remember, our enemies today are the world, the flesh, the devil, and death itself. Let's think about them. Consider the world. That is, the world as it opposes God, which rejected Christ and will reject us to the degree that we witness about Christ. Think, what what can a group 
of Chinese Christians huddled secretly in a living room to worship God do against the force of a government that wants to shut them down? Or what person on their own is strong enough to withstand the siren call of the things of this world which pull us away from setting our hearts in heaven? It's the world. Or think about the flesh, our sinful nature. Every person is born slaves to sin like a bird caught in a snare. We might perhaps most vividly feel this with sins like addictions, where you feel utterly powerless and helpless to stop. It feels like it's got you by the throat. Its pull is just too strong to pull away from. But it's true for more hidden sins, too. Pride. If you're consistent with devotions, if you're going to church, if you're helping your needy neighbor and spending your free time at outreach ministries, often you can get puffed up on the inside and you start despising others who don't perform quite like you do. And then you have the cycle of praying for humility and then becoming proud that you prayed for humility. Have you ever done that before? Look at what Romans 7 says. For I have the desire to do what is right, Paul says, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Our flesh, our sinful nature is too strong. We will never free ourselves from it. Well, moving on to our enemy, death. The wages of the sin that we live in is death. All have sinned, and so all return to dust. Adults, youth, children, every one of us in this room will return that way. Elon Musk's money can't put it at bay. Johnson & Johnson can't make a drug powerful enough to stave it off forever. There is no escaping it. And the devil. Satan prowls around like a roaring lion or a furious dragon, seeking to devour God's people, and he's powerful. You remember from the book of Job, where under God's control and sovereignty, God allowed Satan to entice whole groups of people to pillage and murder. Or he allowed Satan to cause fire to fall down and consume flocks and servants. And Satan is deceptive. Consider how Eve, who had no sinful nature in her, he deceived to eat the fruit of the tree in the garden. He's an expert at justifying sin. You deserve, you name it. It's been a long day. It won't hurt anybody else anyway. Or, as he's been saying from the beginning, did God really say? He is an accuser. You may well be familiar with the fact that the title Satan means accuser or adversary. He knows our dirt, our hypocrisy, our sins that most don't, and he whispers in your ear, you are a fraud, and you're unloved by God. He hates you, he hates God, and he wants to do everything he can to hinder you, and we would not stand a chance against him on our own. It'd be like a fly coming up against a windshield. So people of God, Remember the situation you were in. 
All of these things had a chokehold on you. If the Lord were not on our side, we would be swept away by the flood of the world's opposition. We would be held fast in iron bonds by our sin. We would be swallowed up by death. We would be caught in the devil's snare. And for anybody in this room who has not placed their faith in Jesus Christ, it's sobering. But you must know that this is your situation now, too. But keep listening and you'll hear of the only way of escape. So that is the first thing. Psalm 124 wants us to remember a situation. The secondly, though, it wants us to remember your deliverance. Against overwhelming odds, God's people, Israel, came out alive. David, still growing peach fuzz perhaps, slays the giant Goliath with a stone. Exiled Jews find favor in the Persian king's sight and are sent home with a check in hand to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and the temple. Was it because of their strength? Was it because of a wile or a daring and brilliant and risk-it-all maneuver? Not at all. Look at how the psalmist paints their escape. In verse 7, we have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken. And we have escaped. It should have been different. We were headed straight for eternity in the jaws of our enemies. But somebody had pity on this poor chirping sparrow and set it free. Brothers and sisters, this is why we're gathered here this morning, isn't it? To remember the name of the one who set us free. As we read in the Bible, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Christ is our deliverance. Christ has broken the snare and you are free. The father sent Jesus to defeat the enemies of his people and to rescue us, sent him from heaven. And the astounding thing is how he did it. He did it not with a battle trumpet, but with babies cries, not in the power and the glory of a heavenly warrior, but in weakness and in humility as a servant, and the death blow to all of yours and my enemies was that Christ would let the devil possess Judas to betray him. For Christ to let the world which rejected him strip him naked and hang him on a cross would be for Jesus to bear on his shoulders our sin would be for Christ to drown in the floodwaters of the Father's wrath and curse until he breathed his last. And it would be to let the grave swallow him for three days. By this, he has put the world in subjection to himself. The world will not have the final say. All things have been placed under Jesus' feet. Military forces, terrorist organizations, nations, Hollywood, The media, there's not a single person on earth who will not one day fall on their knees before Jesus Christ. And in fact, Jesus is doing the beautiful work of redeeming a world that hates him and making enemies into his people. And if you have not placed your faith in Christ here, I urge you to come and to bow your knee willingly now before this good king who has given his life to free his people. Take heart, I have overcome the world, Jesus said. Well, Jesus has also defeated the flesh. 
He has broken the snare of sin. When Jesus was nailed to a cross, he bore our sins and our sinful nature was killed with him. Listen how Paul puts it in the book of Romans. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So let's go back just for a minute to the examples of addiction and pride. Addiction. Addiction might have a strong pull on you, but it has no authority over you and dominating power about which nothing can be done over you as someone who has died and been raised with Christ. So that you can say, Satan wants me to think that you're my master, but you are not. You can seethe and foam at the mouth in rage, but the Lord has promised me to provide me with a way of escape when I am tempted, and you have no authority to stop me. I am Christ's. Think of pride. When you feel it swelling like a balloon inside of you, you can say something like, Lord, I feel pride. Forgive me. Make me humble. Forgive me for the, the, the pride I feel about this prayer, even. Make me truly humble. And then you can drop it, walk away, and know you are forgiven. Why? Because you are not a slave to that sin. It doesn't need to own you, control you, by making you think constantly about how oh, you're not humble enough. Christ has forgiven you. And more than that, he has brought you into a realm of new life in God, and he has promised he will finish his work in you. The chain is broken. Go in peace. What about the enemy of death? Listen. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. When we're raised from the dead, we read that then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. I'm sure many of you in this room have buried people whom you love. I'm sure there are some who are facing severe sickness, where your bodies are falling apart as you age. Even just this past year, um, I, I learned of somebody from the church I grew up in who was feeling a little off and went to the hospital on a Wednesday, was diagnosed, and by Friday she was dead. In just a couple of days, my wife is going to fly out to Michigan to bury her final grandparent. But you need to know that by his death, Christ has killed death. And when he rose, Jesus came up out of the throat of the grave, out of the jaws of death, never to die again. And we too will be raised with him. Christian, you will live. And saints who have died before you will live. And lastly, that ancient serpent, the devil. Speaking of what Jesus did on the cross, we read in Colossians 2 that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. We are no longer under the devil's power. Rather, Christ has disarmed him, stripped him of his weapons, so to speak, stripped him of his armor and put him in chains. We're no longer under his power. Christ crushed the serpent's head. And now the astounding thing 
is that in Romans 16, we read that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So when Satan whispers, you've had a hard life. And I'm sure many of you do. And then he goes on to say, does the father then really love you to let all of this happen to you? Slam the door in his face. Resist him. Remember what the Lord has done and will do for you. And as James says, he will flee. I said, what an amazing turn of events. Remember your miraculous deliverance from these things. And when you remember, praise your deliverer. For as much as this psalm painstakingly stresses how strong our enemies were, it keeps pointing us back to our deliverer, back to the Lord. If it had been anyone else, anything else, we would never have escaped. But the Lord can deliver you because he is strong. He is, as verse 8 says, the maker of the heavens and the earth. The people who put Jesus to death were formed out of dust and given life by God himself. He gave them the energy they needed to nail the nails into his wrists. The devil, before he turned against God, was created by God himself. These enemies are far stronger than you and me but they are no match for the strength of the one who created heaven and earth itself. But he's not only strong, he is strong for you. Do you see in verses one and two? If it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, again, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, you know what a simpler way to read it is? If it had not been for the Lord who was for us. That's what it says. The maker of the heavens and the earth will move heaven and earth to save you. And if 2,000 years ago or so, he gave up his only son to rescue you, do you not think he will give you everything you need this week? Over and over and again, he's called the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, a name used not just when speaking of God's might, but when speaking of his might for the sake of his people. A name used of God as he has promised to do whatever it takes to keep his promises to his people. So, what is the appropriate response? It says it in verse 6. It is simply to praise him. Blessed be the Lord. We're about to take the Lord's Supper. Let's use this time with purpose. Think about what dire straits that you were in, what it cost him to save you. Tell him how grateful you are. Worship him. Let's sing our final song intentionally and loudly and from the heart. Our praise is corporate. Let Israel now say. Doesn't it help you when you see somebody else bless God who you know has been battling cancer? or just buried a loved one, or something hard like that. When you see them worshiping the Lord, it builds up your trust in God, does it not? It gives you joy and increases your joy for God and what he's done. And this afternoon, as we depart from here, 
I'd encourage you to spend time thinking about him and praise him. Sunday's not our own day. It is a day that's set aside for the Lord. So spend time on your own or with family and friends thinking about all that God has done for you and thank him for it. Let's pray. God, we do thank you so much for all that you are and have done for us. We pray. We pray that as as much as we feel the reality of the hardships of life, the reality of our sin, the reality of of the opposition of the world and of the, the devil tempting us, God, I pray that much more you would enable us to feel and know by faith, the reality that we have been set free and that you would cause us to love and adore you more and more because of it. I pray that as we come to celebrate your table and the Lord's Supper, that you would help us, that you would meet us, and we would have joy as we take of Christ's body and blood. We pray in his name. Amen. Praise God for